0: I want to do something that came to me out of the clear blue um, when I was thinking about Camp Yeladim. And so this is fresh perspective on Yeladim from Zechariah chapter 8, 1 through 8. And Zechariah 8:1 there says, Then the word of Adonai Savot, the Lord of hosts, came saying, that's verse 1 of chapter 8. And we just want to look at something in these first eight verses. Zechariah. There are five words of hope. That is five sayings that come from the lips of Adonai that are here. Two on top, two on the bottom, and one in the middle. And it's the one in the middle that we'll focus on. So if you were to read all eight verses, you would see that verse two is that Adonai is zealous or jealous for Zion. And then you would see in verse 3 that he will or has returned to Zion and is going to be with his remnant people who are coming back from Babylon. He's going to be present with the remnant. And then something is there in the middle. And after that, While the remnant is saying, how is Jerusalem going to be restored? How is this vision going to happen? This is going to be difficult. Adonai says nothing is too difficult for him. And the fourth there at the bottom for the two and two is that he will rescue. He will rescue his people to covenant relationship and will be able to say once again, I will be their God and they will be my people. So there are the four of the five words. And what's in the middle is this promise about the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to be filled with something. And boy, did this strike me. In Zechariah 8, 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, aged men and aged women will sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with their staff in their hand because of age. Notice this. Zekenim and Zekenot. Yes, elderly men and elderly women. A word play together. The elderly men, the elderly women. What do we then see in 8.5? And the streets of the city will be filled with yeledim and yeladot the young children Masculine, the young children, feminine. Isn't that interesting that what's in the middle of this vision is the restoration of the two opposites? The very old men and women, the very young boys and girls. They're going to be again in the streets of Jerusalem. To be Howard for a moment, may I suggest that when you put the two extremes of something together in Hebrew like this, it's a merism. And what it's really pointing to then is wholeness of God's intergenerational covenant community restored. And I couldn't help but use this beautiful picture I took at Camp Yeladim this week. You get extra points if you can find Howard and Andrea. And this brings us to a question about what is the measure of a city? T.C. Spears wrote a commentary on Zechariah in which he said, Too often people are apt to measure a city's significance by its busyness, professions, industries, buildings, wealth, art, and culture. But Zechariah 8 measures the city of Jerusalem by the wholeness of its intergenerational faithfulness and righteousness in communal covenant relationship. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is to do what's right according to your covenant obligations all throughout your covenant relationship. We're not surprised to find something about the wholeness of God's intergenerational covenant community because it was called for specifically in Genesis eighteen nineteen. I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he may instruct his children and his household after him to keep what? The way of the Lord. By what? By doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And Deuteronomy 6, 7 then points us to, and these words that I'm commanding you today shall be, yes, same thing, Well, it just so happens that we live in the 21st century, and our Andrea, in particular, has engaged the work of Gary Pachuch. And he refers to this phenomenon described in the Tanakh as faith webbing. And so we talk about faith webbing here at Beth Messiah. What is faith webbing? It's a deep, purposeful, intergenerational approach to connecting youth to, and of course because it's faith webbing, he says faith. But what we know differently is that Abraham exercised faith in God and it was counted or reckoned to him as righteousness, i.e. exercising right covenantal relations at the beginning of the relationship. And we know from 15 to 22, when we get to 22 of Genesis, that he is then tested, and the Lord says to him, because you have obeyed me and done this thing related to the offering of Isaac, I will now deliver on my covenant promises to you. So what we see is that faith initially produces faithfulness. So we like to say that faith webbing is a deep, purposeful, intergenerational approach to connecting youth to faith-producing faithfulness, trust-producing trustworthiness. Through a congregation, members of all ages spend time side-by-side involved in the life and the outreach of the congregation. The vision is to wrap our children in youth in a web of faith-producing faithfulness so loving and caring that they'll have a convenient religion and pass it on to their kids while they're busy living out the values of U.S. culture. That's the text, yes? No, not even close. So that they will what? Know God and Messiah Yeshua. And let's just agree that the easiest thing we can do with our children is not hand down a religion, but usher them into relationship with the living God and Messiah, because that will be adequate for the, the duration of life. And so that they'll always want to be an integral part of the congregation. And this way of life is achieved only when what? Home. Religious school, synagogue, and total environment strategically interact to prepare a child to take their place in the world. The most important unit in the synagogue is the home. What we do at home must prepare our children for what they do here. It has to happen in the home. The stronger the homes, the stronger the synagogue. Congregational commendation number one. Yes, to our parents, grandparents, and invested others. All the others that pour into our kids, mostly on a volunteer basement. Commendation number two to our kids. Thank you for honoring and cooperating with your parents, grandparents or the other invested others. Congregational challenge, 21st century. This hour of Beth Messiah's development, from Ephesians 5:15 and 16, to us all, from the youngest. To the oldest. Therefore, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Are we making the best use of our time in the home? Everywhere. For what end? The covenant relationship between God and his people. Because the days are evil. What's at stake? What's at stake is this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua Messiah, the one whom you've sent. That's what's at stake. But what's at stake for us in the nitty-gritty, not the big picture? Future rabbis, future elders, future shamashim, future liturgists, future Hebrew teachers, future Greek teachers, future Tanakh teachers, future New Covenant scriptures teachers future scripture readers. I love that one of the children came to me and said, how do I pronounce this word when I read this morning? I said, let's go to the Hebrew text and see if it's sooth. And it was, because we looked there and saw it. How about that? A kid side by side, MSI faculty members, apologists, musicians, other servants. And as the Theological Willy Wonker would say, that's Willy Wonka, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because in some ways MSI is a chocolate factory. So what do we do if we're if we're not getting it all done at home? What if right now we don't have a robust prayer life? What if we don't spend enough time in the Word? What if we're not inculcating this into our children? What about the areas that we're underachieving in? What should we do? Should we go home depressed? Should we go down the oneg depressed? No. I say we practice Philippians 3, 13 through 14a. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to to have attained this. Instead, I'm single-minded. Paul's text actually just says one, but one, but one thing. What do I do? On the one hand, why don't we forget everything that's behind us? And on the other hand, this word for stretching is stretching forward like to the max when you're doing a race and you're trying to get over the line ahead of someone else. Stretching forward to the max for the things that are ahead, I press on. What if we just pressed on? And then just a few words about the memory verses. Were you struck with the memory verses? I hope here we just have an illuminating moment as a congregation about what love means. So here we have uh, uh, Mark 12.30, which is a citation of Deuteronomy 6.5, the ve'ahavta of the Shema, but in a Greek version that has four terms instead of three. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, or the Hebrew nefesh, so person would work here, and with all your mind, that's the additional Greek word, and with all your strength. So a citation of Deuteronomy 6, 5 in the Greek. And then the second is this, you shall love your neighbor or the one next to you as yourself. This has nothing to do with U.S. self-love, Western self-love. This has to do with loving the one next to you as if they were the same as you. So do we see that love is commanded? We're commanded to love God with the whole of our, with the whole of our, with the whole of our, and then we're commanded to love the one next to us that lives out the way of the Lord, we're commanded to love them as if they were the same as us. How can love be commanded? What does love mean? Do you ever think about that? Is it just like you meet someone and it's like, Hi, I'm, I'm trying to show I love you. Is that it? Because have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought it means more emotion for a person? Is that really what the Hebrew Scriptures teach us? We're going to encourage you to take the Love of God free introductory mini-course, which is all filmed and will be going up at the end of the summer. It's the course we're giving away to the entire world to make the points that we're making here extremely clear. The reason why this course came into being is because I read this book. John D. Levinson, a non-Messianic Jew at Harvard. My goodness, it's a book that's so rich until it gets to the New Covenant Scriptures and then we have to help it along. But it's called The Love of God, Divine Gift, Human Gratitude and Mutual Faithfulness in Judaism. One of the best books I've ever read in my life. What if we skipped the course and went right to one of the final slides of the course and said, from now on, when you're in the Shema and you're singing the Ve'ahavta, and you shall love the Lord your God with the whole of your heart and with the whole of your being and with the whole of your muchness, we would import this understanding of love into that. And when we hear the second greatest commandment, love the one next to you as if they were the same as you, we would import the same understanding of love. What would it do for understanding, for worldview and for living. Love is the wondrous, privileged obligation to act. Part emotion, mostly action. It's the privileged obligation to act. In covenant fidelity, that is faithfulness, in servanthood, service, and instrumental help. Help that benefits another person. And obedience, oh, a word everyone loves, yes? But what if obedience means the responsive carrying out of one's covenantal promises and responsibilities out of gratitude for being in covenant relationship? And I urge you to take the course because not only will we benefit from so-called big-ticket items in covenant relationship, in marriages, we would in this course, we talk about loving your spouse down to the Kleenex box level, which means you and your spouse are at that 2 sink counter and you're so attuned to the one you're in covenant love relationship with, you see that their box of Kleenex is empty. And when they're not looking, you restock it. Or your spouse comes home tired from a day of serving And you hear her say on her way to sleep, I got to go pick up Sadell tomorrow morning. I got no gas in the tank. That's going to be an issue. And so you say, that is going to be an issue, honey. And you go to bed. And as soon as you hear the first, you get out of bed, you get dressed, you go fill up the tank. We have sacred attunement going this way, and we have spousal attunement going this way from the sacred attunement that came this way. In short, love is the action of letting covenant character flow forth in the nitty-gritty of everyday lives. Want to see covenant character? Exodus 34, 6, and 7, God's first big self-revelation to Moses. That's the key passage in all of Judaism. It shows up right here in the course because we review it. And what about legal obligations? The legal obligations derive from a phenomenon that's considerably warmer and more personal than law, as that word is used today. They derive the legal obligations from a communal personal relationship, and they do what? They encourage, deepen, and expand that relationship. What's inherent to the love of God? Self-sacrifice and the pouring out of oneself on behalf of others for their benefit John Levinson, a remarkable Jewish scholar who is not yet in Messiah but always writing about him, says, when this dimension of pouring oneself out in sacrifice for others is ignored or explained away, the full radicalism of the commandment to love God cannot be grasped. Hence, Deuteronomy 6.5 is coupled to Leviticus 19.18b. It's our persuasion in this congregation that every follower of Messiah should know where these two great commandments come from. The two greatest commandments come from Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18b. Can you believe that's my last slide? Wonder, wonder, miracles and miracles, yeah. All I wanted to do is, you know, there's another piece of this, is graphically represent how reciprocal this is. It starts by God initiating covenant love with his people. And notice then his covenant people start to demonstrate love back to him. And that's been going on since creation when humanity came to be. And then especially in covenant when God worked in particular with Abraham. And then this one showed up in history and made a huge difference in how this works and is practiced. In fact, we have greater access to God through this one, unprecedented in history, such that we should be able to love God and one another more profoundly than they did before Yeshua came. And then that love that's reciprocally going back and forth between the community and God spills over into the lives of the ones living this way of life. And then by extension, Everybody we bump into out there, we could leave a wake behind us of the love of God, such that people would think, what happened? Yes, most of you know my computer crashed this week. Nothing, the D drive was empty, no documents whatsoever. That means no documents to edit for filming. I had a slight cardiac arrest in the coffee shop at that moment and said god what do i do and the wisdom came to go next door to the coffee shop and in 15 minutes he said to me it's simply inside your computer the it's come un, unhooked we just need to take it out and pop it back in and i thought yeah right that's not the way my life works and he did it and he popped it in and there were all my files i broke into praise in other languages I sang a hymn in the store, and I hugged him for the longest time until he said to me, sir, I am now uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I backed up a little bit, and I said, I just want you to know it's nothing personal. It's the love of God. (laughs) Yes, that's a true story. And we're never done with our kids, are we? And we're never done as adults, are we? It's lifelong learning, yes? So my closing anecdote anecdote is that my granddaughter sat in some teaching. Now, isn't she just six? Anybody six? See, same age as you. She sat in some teaching at her school on the armor of God. Imagine that, a long teaching to a six-year-old on the armor of God. And so she processed it, and she took with her that day a teaching on the armor of God. And then later she fell in the playground, and her father, my son, picked her up. And when she got in the car, he said to her, oh, he saw through the mirror six Band-Aids. He goes, honey, what happened? And she goes, I fell in the playground so much for the armor of God. <laughs> All right, so my privilege to uh, dot some I's, cross some T's, and, and put this together. And what a privilege to be a part of a group that agrees that it takes a whole synagogue to raise our children. Let's pray. So Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king, we thank you for this day, this Camp Yeladim, this Camp Children Shabbat. And we ask that you would continue to bring us people who are the invested others that pour into our kids. And then we just repent of anything that we're not doing robustly to make great progress in you. Strengthen our homes, strengthen our communities so that we can enflesh these two passages, these two greatest commandments, and be able to say with a clear conscience, you are our God and we are your people and provide the world with a foretaste of your kingship on earth now, even as we wait for your coming. In this we ask in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Amen